0: Welcome to our first episode of Public HealthCast, where we introduce you, the public, to the world of public health. I'm Dr. Brian Buckley, the immediate past chair of the Community Health Planning and Policy Development section of the American Public Health Association. I'm honored to introduce you to the executive director of the American Public Health Association, Dr. Georges Benjamin who is known as one of the nation's most influential public health leaders because he speaks so passionately and eloquently about the health issues having the most impact on our nation today. As executive director of the APHA since 2002, he leads the association's push to make America the healthiest nation in one generation. I've had the pleasure of knowing Dr. Benjamin. Many of us call him Dr. B since 2014 when I attended my first APHA annual meeting in New Orleans. Um, and he has just been such a passionate speaker on public health issues and really just inspired to talk with him today. Welcome, Dr. Benjamin. It's an honor to have this chat with you today. Well, Thank you
1: for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: So we have a couple of questions that were submitted by our student committee and also members of our podcast team, so I'll just get straight into it. The first question is, how do you introduce the world of public health to newcomers in our audience who may not be sure what exactly we mean by public health?
1: Well, you know, I try to use two examples. The, the first one is functional. So I'm an emergency doc um, by practice and, um, and experience. And, um, and though what I used to tell folks is when I was practicing emergency medicine, and then when someone came into the ER with a rat bite, I would um, take care of the rat bite but when 10 people came into the emergency department with the rat bites, you're not doing very much good for anyone unless you go get rid of the rats. And so that uh, when I practiced clinical medicine, I was a great clinician and I took care of of trauma for folks, but um, my bigger duty as a public health practitioner was to go out and address the conditions that created that trauma in the first place. So when you think about that from a public health perspective, Um, Medical care provides care for people by the ones and the twos, um, and public health does that in a a population basis by creating the conditions which allow people to be healthy in the first place.
0: I love that. Um, That's a a really good example of just really talking about public health. And so we're going to shift a little bit to uh, one topic I know you have a big passion for, health and all policy. And as uh, many things are going on, Um, There's been a lot of different conversations this election cycle about various ways to address healthcare in the U.S. APHA has had a long-standing history of supporting universal single-payer healthcare as the best. In addition to updating APHA's policies, what next steps might we take as a community health leadership group to advance this as a national approach?
1: Well, you know, the the challenge we have today is when our nation has been able to um, um, address health insurance co- um, activities only when um, society has accepted the fact that things need to change. So if you think about it, um, the status quo being unacceptable allowed us to move um, health reform in the 60s to get Medicare and Medicaid. It allowed us after the failure of the Clinton health care plan to move on the Children's Health Insurance Program because that debate brought out the plight of children. The Affordable Care Act was able to be passed because we had just trouble with cost and quality uh, across the healthcare system, um, and people were ready to try to achieve universal coverage. And at that point, we had a blank sheet of paper, and the Affordable Care Act, of course, is what came out of that. Um, I think the opportunity today is for us to build on the Affordable Care Act. Um, And we know that at least the incoming administration of uh, President-elect Biden is to add a public option as the next phase in our maturation towards making sure we have a system with everyone in and no one out. Now, understanding that the courts, the Supreme Court, as you know, are now reviewing the ACA, And I think that um, if substantial damage is done from a court ruling from the Affordable Care Act, then there is a glide path to um, having a more fuller discussion around a single-payer health system, Um, for sure. There will be a better opportunity to discuss uh, a system with everyone in and no one out. I think the challenge we have politically is that the courts, of course, have moved in a direction of having more, at least on the Supreme Court, and on many of the appellate courts, justices that support less government intervention in healthcare. And the truth of the matter is, despite the fact that we know single payer would be cheaper and many ways more efficient, that the ability for us to make that big step would take a, an enormous lift, which um, Honestly, I'm not sure that we have the the political muscle to pull that off today. Having said that, that the Affordable Care Act, if we do it right, and we're able to achieve a public option, we will probably achieve um, um, universal coverage. Now, universal coverage does not guarantee you cost control. And I don't personally believe you can get significant cost control, cost containment, until you get everybody in the bucket. You know, it's like having a a bucket with water that's a hole in it and you keep filling it up and you're surprised that you're having to put more more water in the bucket and more water in the bucket every day as the hole continues to get bigger. So we're gonna have to be more thoughtful over the next um, few years on how we achieve that universal coverage. And APHA is gonna have to be flexible Um, with this, um, and then look for opportunities to make sure that we have a system with everyone in and no one out.
0: Yeah, it's so true when you hear that whole adage, you know, the mind is very strong, but the body weak, you know, definitely a lot of incremental changes over the next couple of uh, years as we try to get to that, you know, big uh, goal. So in the same realm of policy, and as you talked about APHA being flexible um, with this uh, new administration, what is your public health wish list of items you want the Biden administration to pass in the first 100 days, six months, <laughs> a year? It's a long list. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I've been,
1: I, I believe that uh, obviously, and, and there's some of these things he's already said he wants to do, such as making sure that we, we um, re-engage with the World Health Organization, make sure we go back to the Paris Climate Accords. I think those two things for me on my, on my day one wish list Um, I hope that they build an office on climate and health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I hope that clearly starting from now, literally as we speak, that they put together a coherent plan to um, contain um, and control COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's gonna be quite frankly at the top of, of all of my functional lists as they go forward, and of course, making sure that we have fair and equitable distribution of the um, vaccine when it becomes available. I also hope that they will um, work very, very hard to make sure that we have data systems that um, capture data by race, ethnicity, and um, gender, uh, sexual orientation, because those are some of the things that we said we wanted to have done Um, that were required in the Affordable Care Act. But quite frankly, the last administration has been quietly dismantling and not collecting the data in a a robust way. Um, And then, you know, rebuilding our public health system is going to be important. So, you know, all those things are not going to happen the first 100 days, but they're going to be able to lay the groundwork to do that. Um, We've got a whole bunch of environmental laws that were, um, and regulations that were undermined during the Trump administration. And I want um, us to, um, look at how we can reverse those back. So they're pro-health, uh, women's reproductive rights, uh, making sure that women have, um, total control of their own bodies is going to be very important. Um, and I think that's something that, of course, APHA has been a strong component of, um, and that, that, and that's, that's a pro-choice position, um, recognizing that there are some folks that, that are pro-life within that, and there are some folks that are pro-choice within that, um, but allowing women to make their own decisions with their, um, based on their relationship with their, their significant other, their clinicians, um, and their religious views, that everyone should have the right to do that. You know, as an African-American male, um, issues around violence and guns is a big issue for me, and I want us to, I want us to move through a thoughtful um, engagement across sectors to make sure that we can reduce firearm um, violence, um, death and disability from guns. We know that, that there are things that we can do that are preventable, that don't undermine the, the second amendment. And I'm, I'm hoping we can make a more coherent case of that over the, the next several years. So, you know, I think I've laid out building public health infrastructure in um, the environmental activity, women's reproductive rights expanding healthcare coverage um, and dealing things with violence and, um, as, as part of that. And then finally, addiction and mental health, all the behavior health issues. Um, those, those have a longer tail, but I'm hoping that they will hop right on that because America is stressed and we um, have not had the, the leadership to, that we need to, to really address our mental health and, and, and real wellness needs so that people get up in the morning and are able to handle it when someone's gotten on their last nerve. You know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. That person that just got on your last nerve. You, you want to be able to go someplace and just be able to handle that.
0: Thank you. It sounds like you're going to be extremely busy in that first 100 days here, <laughs> year. Uh, and a lot of us, since it seems like a lot of things to really building that, that uh, public health infrastructure. You had mentioned COVID-19 and just shifting gears to COVID-19, since that's the pressing thing right now in our society as a whole. Recently, APHA shared concerns that even when a COVID-19 vaccines are distributed, um, people may not get vaccinated, that whole vaccine hesitancy. Um, What could APHA specifically and our public health community broadly do to rebuild public trust and instill COVID-19 vaccine confidence?
1: You know, tell people the truth. (laughs) be transparent, communicate effectively, be culturally competent in our communications, making sure that the communicators um, represent the diversity of America. Um, I think that's a place to start. Uh, And then we pointed out that yes, this vaccine has been been put together um, in an expedient manner, but that it represents years of research in vaccinology, improvements in how we make vaccines, years of research in in this particular virus. You know, this is the coronaviruses are in the family of of the common cold virus. And they've been trying to get a common cold vaccine for years, which they've not been able to do, by the way. But they were able to, um, that first SARS outbreak we had many years ago, they had begun working on that virus to create a vaccine. And so they knew where to start. And that plus government commitments to actually fund the projects and then by the vaccine on the other end allowed for um, acceleration of many of those phases that require raising money, doing some of the early research. Um, and the fact that every nation in the world that has a scientific enterprise has been working on this in a collaborative manner to some degree has allowed us to move forward much more expediently. So I think people should recognize that um, just like um, when I grew up, we had rotary phones, and, and now we have phones that have more computing power <laughs> than, than uh, you know these 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 multi-ton computers that I had when I was in college, right? Um, and recognize that science has progressed. We've learned a lot, and because we've learned a lot, we're reaping the benefits of that scientific discovery, of those investments. Um, so we should we should applaud that now. That also means that we should recognize, we should also recognize as communities of color, the history of racism, um, abuse of our our own bodies and our predecessors' bodies. And the fact that yes, people have been abused, experimented upon, used as guinea pigs, and, and, and we are just, you know, trust but verify. And I'm hoping that as the, you know, this month, by the way, December, as the data rolls out, I'm encouraging us to look at the data, look at the science. Um, But once we are comfortable with the data and the science, and my doctor tells me it's okay to take the vaccine, and um, my other doctor is my, I have my personal doctor that I got my Dr. Fauci, (laughs) you know, when Dr. Fauci tells me to take the vaccine, I'm going to take the shot.
0: Yeah, you you hear that as uh, Fauci is like the the grandpa for the nation right now, as we all go through this really hard time and just really trusting that science and building that confidence. So shifting a little bit to membership changes, and I know there's been quite a lot of changes going on as we are thinking of the future of public health, APHA has been Uh, reorganizing to be more responsive to the changing times through a strategic planning process. So this is kind of a twofer question. Um, The first is, can you share the big picture messages that came out of the Member Unit Effectiveness and Engagement Project, which has been going on for the past couple of months um, so far, as well as plans for the next step? And then the second question, which I think you can maybe weave in, is what should members and non-members know about the value of APHA membership?
1: Well, let me me start with the value of membership. You know, APHA is a big organization, and I believe there's an enormous value in collective engagement. And so what APHA brings to the table is the strength of a collaborative that is um, able to speak truth to power. Uh, And we've been doing that since 1872. And I think that's what the important message to us is that we're a Best Buy, in terms of um, the input, the financial engagement, the personal engagement that people are involved with APHA. And we're able to move an agenda at the national level in a very, very effective way. Now, I think the lessons from the member, the member um, project that we're doing, it came across because there's a general view that we're kind of overly segmented. As you know, we're the big tent. And so we have a lot of little um, groups and organizations and quite frankly, we can't continue to focus and support all of the various subunits that we have. So if you think what's happening in the world, people are very much in a la carte mindset, they kind of want what they want when they want it. And they want to associate with who they want to associate with. And so I think one of the things we're learning as we are talking to our members and trying to understand how we position APHA for the future is that how do we give members the opportunity to do just that? You know, how do we give people the opportunity to engage on the issues that they want to engage in at the time they want to engage in it? And does that mean we have to move away from these, these false collaborations and entities that we've created that just, they just come out of the air, right? They're, they're, they're based on how you're trained. They're based on your experience at the moment. But we know that people change in their careers. They go through multiple jobs. They do different types of projects. And the question is, can we create an environment which allows people to engage each other in the way they want to be engaged with um, at any particular time to allow people to move? You know, right now, we allow people to have two sections guaranteed, you know, you get that quote unquote for free. And then if you want a third section, you can buy that one. Um, But then if you actually look at how people engage, they engage in not only those two sections, but they also engage in forums. Some of them engage in caucuses. And then in the annual meeting, they seek out different um, presentations they want to hear about depending on how they go. So we have to separate our governance from the annual meeting and our our scientific activity from our engagement activity. And so what we're trying to figure out is how to do that. And so I think the message is that members want to be able to engage in a more collaborative way throughout the year. And um, I think that's the core message right now. And then we're having to think through now as staff, and then we'll be talking with the board about this, about what that means for our governance, what that means for for the annual meeting, um, and how we can make sure that people still feel, have ownership of those and control those activities, but at the same time um, are able to go on a website, um, pick up a phone call and talk to one another because today they're interested in healthcare reform, tomorrow they're interested in HIV AIDS, Um, next week they're interested in COVID, Um, And oh, by the way, they wanna be able to talk to somebody about a career. And so we're trying to figure out how we can allow people the space to do all those kinds of things. And by the way, at the same time, be able to focus ourselves as a collaborative on a few things, because if you're about everything, then you're about nothing and nothing gets done.
0: That was good. I really love that whole idea of everything is a priority. Nothing is a priority. And so winding down to our last question, which is uh, a pretty easy one. Um, For folks that are new to public health students, folks that are thinking about career shifts, outside of joining APHA, which we know has so much value, how can people start their journey in getting into public health?
1: Well, I encourage people, first of all, um, to, um, you know, if you're going to school to become the best practitioner you can be, learn is all you can learn. Um, Join your affiliate in your local level. Call politics and advocacy is local. No question about that. Uh, Also join national APHA. Get involved in um, webinars. Listen to the webinars that we put out. Respond to our advocacy alerts are going to be very important. Get to know your elected officials, whether it's school board or county council or city council or your state legislators, get to know them before you need them. So they know, you know, I'm George Benjamin, and I'm from Maryland, and um, I'm a I'm an ER doc, I'm a public health practitioner, and, um, you know, how can I help you with your agenda? You know, I want to be an advisor to you. Because once they know you, they'll pick up the phone and call you. Their staff, by the way, once you get close to their staff, if they have a question, they'll call you. Once they know you're there, because they always have questions. They always want to know what you think. But if they don't know you're there, you can't help them. And and then as an affiliate, you can provide that input on an organized basis. And sometimes you won't agree with your affiliate. Sometimes your opinion will be very different than you know the, the corporate view, which is a you know a compromised view of the affiliate. That's okay. You know. Uh, also, don't let people tell you that you can't do it because you don't live as a citizen because of your employer. Now, it may not be wise for you to speak out if, if you're in a certain job and work for a certain place, but that's a different question. But you don't lose your right to do so. Um, and then you have to decide what the ethics and appropriateness of, of speaking out as an individual um, or your engagement. Obviously, you can't use your, your technology to, um, you know, to, to, to lobby and do all the things um, that you're not supposed to do um, from, from a, a political purpose. But you can, you don't lose your citizen's rights because you're um, because of who you work for. And so I encourage people to still be engaged as a citizen um, so we can help move a, a progressive agenda forward. And when I mean by progressive, uh, I'm not talking about a, about a political progressive agenda, I mean a healthy agenda.
0: Thank you so much. I wish we had more time to go over so many more questions, but that's all the time we have. So I just wanna say thank you, Dr. Benjamin, for your time and all you do for public health. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, learn from you and just, feel that passion for public health that you just exudiate. And so uh, for our listeners, thank you for listening to our first episode. We encourage our listeners to stay tuned for future episodes of the Public Health Cast where we introduce you to the world of public health. Thank you.
1: Brian, thank you.